Totes has counted me in. Uh, we are here for what is a truncated, small circle, rinky-dinking this week. Uh, yet the plan from the smaller circle version is to be chock full of obvious observations, humorless anecdotes, and what a couple of morons musings. And I believe yours truly, Daryl Ray, and the great Mike Heike can fulfill this are you up to the challenge, Mike? This is in our wheelhouse, isn't it? <laughs> this is it. exactly what we do it. every day. I believe it is. Here, here's the deal. Winter classic uniforms or kits, as I believe they're known in the millennial world. Am I right? Nodding at me is Jeff Totes. Uh, they have been unveiled today. Uh, ergo or hence, no Tom Holy, who's busy with stuff, let's say. Uh, so it's just you and I. He's a vice president, you know. He's got a lot of a lot of stuff on his plate. Let's talk about uniforms, sweaters, kits, jerseys. The uh, the unveiling came out. People, as we do this, have have seen it, consumed it, and what have you. It's a group effort. Adidas or Adidas, depending on where on the globe you exist, and the NHL have a massive say in all of this. Uh, but there's a little input from the teams themselves, small focus group, if you will, from the stars. And uh, it appears some very important people were in that group. Well, some, some not so important. That's true. But the general consensus at first blush is that the stars, the league, and Adidas killed it. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, I'm an old guy, so I know. Yes, you are. I'm very old. Uh, so I know that there are different, like, I don't like the college grays and all that kind of stuff. This is a beautiful. What the hell is college grays? What does that mean? Like when the college football teams were all gray. Have you ever seen those? Oh, my God. Look at Totes is losing his. Sorry about that. But like Ohio State has done it. And you're like, that doesn't look like Ohio State or Texas Tech has done it. They're all gray. You've never seen this? It just makes me, my uniform mind Gray go crazy. Gray is really a color. It's it more, really is. It's more a mood. It is. I I've agree with said that. that. Anyway, point being is these are old-fashioned, cool-looking sweaters. Uh, they have felt on them. I love felt. <laughs> Reminds me of the days of varsity jackets and varsity sweaters. Uh, so felt was the kicker oh for you, Oh, my gosh. It? Felt just put me over the top. And then- uh, the like dust bunnies? There's some dust bunnies, bunnies involved, too. Does that get you excited, <laughs> Very Mike? much so. And the collars are great because, you know, everybody wants a tie. They went without the tie, but I think a really classic-looking collar. I just love it. And yeah. then the colors are fantastic. What do you think of the yoke? That's what I'm saying. The yoke is... Well, there's the collar. Oh. And then there's the, the yoke. yoke. on the. See, I am well-versed in all oh, things garment it. nowadays. Yeah, because you were in the room. Oh, my gosh. You know, I've been, I've been honored to be a part of, of both now. The redo of our, our jerseys way back, and now this one. Uh, we had a much more to do with the previous one than we did with this. This was more league and uh, company driven but at the same time everybody had you know they're they're saying emails went back and forth and and what have you 
I will tell you this, and this is going to seem like polishing the apple and licking the boot and what have you, but Star's owner Tom Gallardi has a friggin' eye for this stuff, and he cares, and he's excellent at it. Like for a guy who's uh, maybe there's some of that in the background of of running the you know Northlands and the companies that that he has run, but when you're in those meetings, man. There are times where you're like, all of us look at one another and we're like, I wouldn't even think of that. Yeah. And he's spot on. I did a story on him. I hope I get an extension out of this. (laughs) I did a story on him about him expanding his businesses here in Texas. And uh, Jim Light said, he'll go into a restaurant and he will notice a light fixture. Mm -hmm. or He'll notice how a railing Mm -hmm. is set up, that his eye for detail is that good. And it's funny, I sit next to you on the plane and I see you reading your architectural digest and everything. (laughs) You're the same way. I think you have a fantastic eye for detail and I think it's important to you. you I think people who have high standards really care about the details. Yeah, that, I'm glad you pointed that out because basically the only thing that separates myself and Tom Gallardi <laughs> are multiple commas in our net worth. Otherwise, same people. Same guy. <laughs> both Western Canadians. Exactly. Let's see, we're both raised Love Kamloops. <laughs> we, we hail from that area of British Columbia. Somewhere my path went this way and his went that. The, uh, I, I, love, I love what what they have done. You know, and there are always little things yeah. that that you wish were different. You guys will never find out about them because you weren't in the meetings like us. <laughs> but the end result is 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 retro. And the difficulty in this was that this isn't the Detroit Red Wings or the New York Rangers or any of these original six teams. And you so you had to balance the history or or uh, some kind of of local tie-in from a distance because th- that's what these winter classic games are right. all about at the same time you didn't want to just hocus pocus invent stuff so and really that's difficult to yeah. make it make it retro but ha- not have a bunch of people look at it and go well what are these guys trying to do so going back to the texans ripping a little of that uh, keeping some of our, our colors involved and, uh, you know, the gloves are going to look like, you know, real leather. Yeah. Like you're doing some fencing or something, you know, repairing some, some, uh, some fence or doing some work or digging some holes or whatever (laughs) it is. Right. I do have one aside in the, cause we talked to Brad uh, Alberts and Dan Stuckel about this five man committee. There were votes. Right, so some went three to two and everything like that. So how do you vote against the owner when you're in a room <laughs> and he's sitting there going like, I think it should be this way. But he said, Brad said he goes, some no, no, the, no. You know, some of the votes went against yeah, him. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and and that's part of the the greatness of him. Yeah, he he's not overly offended by it, and it's not like it's going to be my way or the highway. And maybe part of that is well. I don't want all the blame if this thing goes <laughs> this thing goes off the rails and people hate it. I can sit there and yeah, that point was all my decision. fingers at you know, I didn't never want to vote for that, but uh yeah, no, it, it it truly was a pretty pretty decent democracy yeah. within there uh on both of them and funny at times uh and and the end the end product I think is is awesome and now uh we'll see them wear it uh, you know next year. Yeah. At the same time they'll be They'll be selling them. I think they go on sale on the 15th. 15th. And then there's going to be two uh, other dates that they'll wear them for games. Good. Which I think that'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I like it. I like it. It's I a like good look. And you know what? It's a good look as well with jeans or whatever. Like it's one thing to get it so it looks good on the ice. That is going to look good in your closet. It's a really nice jersey. Do you know who should really weigh in on it though? Fire. They're awesome. <laughs> Absolutely love them. Do you? I do. And we shot a video two days ago where we brought the players in one by one and they got their first look at the jersey and the reaction was overwhelmingly positive. That'll be out later this week. Wow. There you go. Stamp of approval. There. I think the most used adjective to describe them by the players was juicy. <laughs> <laughs> See, now, when I hear Juicy with garments, all I can think of are those pink tracksuits that my daughters wore when they were, like, three. <laughs> juicy Couture. And it was written right across the fanny of their tracksuits. And you let Thank your God daughters Thank God that is not that. a thing anymore. <laughs> they grew out of that. Uh, so the sweaters are, are killer and juicy uh, and a throwback. Clocks also went back this weekend. We call that a tie-in segue here in rinky-dinking. You fall back, you spring ahead in daylight savings. We all know that, I, I believe. Isn't it wonderful nowadays, though, that you don't have to run around and reset yeah. 18 clocks in your house? Because your, your phone is your, is your clock for the most part, and it just does it automatically. Yeah. I, the clock I have in the bedroom is on the, the VCR How many TV? clocks did you have to set in the house? Oh, yeah, I actually have four or five on the oh oven and God. stuff like that. Uh, microwave, things like that in the How kitchen. How are the 1950s in the hike? I'm, I'm an old man. <laughs> but like you wake up in the morning and there's the VCR and you're just like, oh. VCR. Whatever it, is, whatever it is. Oh, and then I went out to my car and the eight track, uh, one of the tapes was stuck in <laughs> the that. The cable box. How's that? The cable box has blown a away, clock you know, on it. We, we turned on some of our kerosene lamps in the house and, and then that way I could see what was going on. My it's still God. dark, you know. Uh, I set two. Did the you one, really set The one on the, on the ovens. There's one on there right. that you have to do. And the microwave. That's it. That was it. And my watch. Have to swing your watch back. Well, some people do. Some people have those Apple watches. Yeah, I don't. Those are horrendous. For Probably not. Do you wear one? No, I don't wear no. any watch. Do you? I'm actually, I hate those too. Yeah. Oh. I, the, your phone keeps time. Do they're, you really need too anything small. else? They're, they're, I, I, I don't like them. Uh, and I don't like my watch. It looks like a women's wa woman's watch as well, but that's a completely different story. Can't afford a new one. Hopefully. Hopefully my gold watch isn't coming anytime soon from around here. But uh, anyway, with the, with the uh, fallback idea, if you could set the star's clock back, you would set it back to when? This is a hard one because uh, the process of getting to where they are right now, now that I look at it, I think maybe they had to go through it, but I'd do it to opening night. I mean, if they came out and finished Oh, you're off, just going with this year. I am. Oh, you're talking about- Oh, my uh, God. It's, you're going back to- I can set the clock 93. back anywhere if I want. <laughs> uh, for this season, I'd go to opening night because I think they had a chance to beat Boston. I think they kind of- You think that would have changed things? I think so. They, they, something you're happened in dope. there. I am. It's true. Uh, I, something happened in there that they lost their confidence uh, because the team we- You think seen, losing- Hold it. Losing opening night two to one- to the team that lost in Game 7 in the Stanley Cup Final, that is the best team in the NHL so far this season, crushed their confidence. No. I think the whole process of going forward from that point 
started to deteriorate their confidence. And had you won that game, it would have been much harder to lose your confidence. In my opinion, Daryl. I don't know if we want any more of your opinions. I know. It's pretty bad, isn't it? Uh, my point being is the team that's playing right now is playing fast. They're playing okay, confident. we're going to talk about them in okay. a while. But they weren't then. So, and, and something happened to get them to the point where they just didn't believe in oh, themselves. Okay, okay. Well, that's your opinion. And I respect it being categorically wrong. It always is. The next game, they go into St. Louis. And they have a lead. And they blow that one. They could we could that wasn't back your, to that one. That wasn't I'm your saying, way had back they, machine Had time? they won game then one. Then the next game, they go into Detroit. That was I don't believe one. the Red Wings have won a game. No, since. And they had that one. The first period was maybe one of the best first periods they played, wasn't it? Not I really. I thought they really kind of dominated. Come on. I can't remember. My brain, you Please. know. Both teams had played. I need some Prevagen or something that. like that. I know. Anyway, uh, I was thinking more on, the, on, a, on a longer scale. That if you could just, if you could go back. Where would you go back to? Because there are there are guideposts along here where mm-hmm. you're like, you know, the easy one would be I'd go straight to 99 and just enjoy that all over again. Or would you go back to 1997 when they first really got their collective act together here in Dallas, although they got popped by Edmonton in the opening round? You know, best team in, in the league and in the regular season. Would you go back to when they had that wild 08 season where they fired GMs and traded for Brad Richards and went on a magical little run to the conference final? Like, where where would you want to go back? And I know where I don't want to go back to, and that was the bankruptcy days. Well, I was going to say, do you want to change it and fix it? Do you want to be like uh, Uncle Rico and say, if I only I could go back in time and Throw it and over the mountain? It. Yeah, and throw it over the mountain. So if it... I'll, this year, if I was going to go back somewhere this year, I'll, I'll, I'll answer the question that I just posed to, to yourself. If I was going to go back, I, I think I would go back to, God, it's tough, man. There's so many, th- those opening three weeks were just such a mess. I, I think I would go back though to the St. Louis game. I think if they, if they could have hung on and won, and exercised, you know, a smidge of what happened in Game Seven, double overtime. There, maybe that, uh, maybe it would have been a disaster too. Maybe they would have went into Detroit and felt like, okay, mission accomplished, yeah. and and got drilled there as well. But uh, so let me let me just clarify here. Yeah, my entirely wrong decision of going back is wrong by one game compared to you going back the next night. It wasn't the next night. It was it was a couple of days. A couple later. days later, yeah. whatever. But yes, you're you're correct. I, I nailed it. <laughs> now, as far as going back, I I loved, I loved the late '90s, just because of of how this thing was being built, and how uh, family oriented the entire organization and product and. It was a different time. We were right there next to the Cowboys facility, and everybody would go over and cover the Cowboys, and then they'd just move on down and cover the Stars. It was packed in Valley Ranch. Everybody lived in Coppell. You saw everyone all day long. You'd go to Starbucks, you'd run into somebody. You'd go to dinner, you'd run into three other, you know, whether it was players or management or whoever. And the the team was so chock full of characters. And it was, everything was just so intertwined then. Like, and it felt like they were moving toward 
yeah, what they special. ultimately, yeah. you know, want. This, this is a silly thing, but like it was so great just to go to the Stars Club. Like, yeah, and that too. You, well, I go, didn't do that. No, you didn't, I'm sure. Uh, I did. <laughs> but you'd go hang with the players. You'd go hang yeah. with guys who were your age, and you'd just BS with them, and, you know. I went into the I went into the old number seven club here, and it's not called that anymore, is it? I don't know what it's called. It's called the... It's something to do with whiskey. Yeah, it's Jack Daniels. Jack Daniels. Yeah. Uh, I, I went in there when Butchergrass was in town okay. after a game. And, you know, I... You walk in there, and and there were people in there, and fans after the game, and what have you. We just found a corner and sat down and and chatted. And uh, you think back to the day. I had players. I had Chris Chelios grab me right after the game. I don't even know if he showered after (laughs) the Hawks got pumped. I think he was with the Hawks then. Got pumped in here, and he grabs me, asks me one question. He just looks at me. He goes, "Hey, where's that club?" And I'm like, you go around <laughs> and then up to the back and boom, off they went to that. Yeah. It was great. It I was mean, crazy. And we had a different- Tech was booming. Like it was a wild, that was a and wild, was, and again, wild this time is a personal on thing, But I mean, I'm their age. I'm Craig Ludwig's age. So we would go hang out and talk about music or current events or whatever. I mean, we, we can't, you know, we were, we had a, a connection because of the age thing and everything. And yeah. it was just fun. Yeah. So- that was my answer. You can't piggyback on my answer. Oh, back to then? Um, yeah. See, I win on you, both levels. You always levels. do win. Um, I, I look at it the Uncle Rico way. I would love oh to go God. back and change things. Like, if you have a time machine, then you want to change things, right? I'm not time machine. I'm just rolling the clock back. Oh, okay. Don't well, then change it. the premise of this. I, w- I would love to go through the before the bankruptcy Make it more smooth and keep Mike Madonna around. Mm. I really would like to do that because mm. you look at what Dirk has done. Yeah, and it's I just fun think, having him on the other night. Yeah, and if if you just look at what they could have done had they not been in bankruptcy, I think they could have written it out with Mike the way that the Mavericks wrote it out with Dirk, and then you know who knows what happens yeah. after that. Yeah, that's that was a better answer than I thought you well, were going to give. You. Way to go, <laughs> uh, Mike Madonna, first round draft pick. Uh, first overall by this group, uh, this came to mind just with the uh, the blossoming, if you will, of Denis Gurionov lately, and then seeing Val Nichushkin with the Colorado Avalanche twice in a matter of a week. Uh, we are in a draft and develop era in the National Hockey League. Cap, roster size, etc., all tells everyone that you better draft well and you better uh, harvest this thing and treat it like a lawn, right? Yeah. Feed it. The daily process, it, yeah. What have you. Yeah, daily process. So I, I got thinking that th- this this group's learned some lessons, don't you think? In, yes. In the draft and develop world, which is not easy. The draft is never easy. No. I mean, you're throwing darts at a board a lot of time trying to figure out whether an 18 year old is going to turn into something for you or not uh but but the because they're russian and because they were both first round draft picks the garyanov nichushkin thing is fascinating to me it's like a cautionary tale and and the value of development yes and you're watching those two things intersect with one another right now nichushkin of course 10th overall in 2013 he was drafted, and then he was just gifted a spot on the club, which, in hindsight, 
is a mistake. And and he's not the only guy. Yeah. Like you can look at other organizations that did similar things and whether you want to call it well he got ruined by too much too soon or or whatever. He did have a very good rookie season. Yeah. No. He scored 14 goals. Yeah. And he played with good players and he played on that top line and and it was there were so many factors that went into that. You know, you weren't asking him to to play really any kind of a system or anything. Right. It was just go and yeah. he was great at go. And uh, he, along with Jamie and, and Tyler, were were just explosive. Uh, then he, f- at first chance, bolts to the KHL as an RFA. Uh, first off, he got injured. Correct. Uh, had to have surgery, uh, hip. Then he comes back, bought out, hasn't scored in over a season. In, in the last 83 games in the National Hockey League, he has no goals and has taken one penalty. Yeah. That's... That's dumbfounding. That's well, and, almost impossible. And when you're do. watching on the ice, you just don't notice him. I mean, that's you know, I, I I agree with the analytics and everything like that. But I'm just going like, oh, there's Val. Yeah. I forgot he was playing for the Avalanche. And so if he doesn't have an impact visually, then he certainly is not having an impact on the score sheet. But back to when he when he first came on board, the 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 two things that happened. It doesn't help the player. And the, I, I understand how management gets into a corner with this stuff, but it doesn't help the player. And, and it hurts the sort of uh, shadow of the mushroom yes. around it because guys are not stupid. I've been on teams and you see guys that have to earn it and you see guys that it's just laid down in front of them. Yeah. Platter. And with Gary Onoff, I think what management did is they, they said, look, development in the American Hockey League is going to be important. Yeah. And you're going to go down there. I mean, think about it. Like he's three years. He went 12th overall in 2015. Yeah. But the idea that with him now is that you had to earn, you you earn this. And even this year, like we, we talked about it, I think in one of the earlier podcasts that he doesn't deserve really to be here right now with his camp and, and the way he's played. They send him down for right. a couple of games. If he goes down, pouts and sucks – he might still be in the American Correct. Hockey League. Instead, he goes down, excels, boom, he's back up again. Yeah. And the guys, I can say this, and, and this is not a big knock against Val because they're, they're two completely human beings. Right. Just because they're from the same country doesn't mean they're going to be the same individuals. But from day one, the guys really like Dennis Garionov. Right. His attitude, his approach, everything. With Val, he was surly, didn't want to speak, he was shy. You know, he, he, his frustration showed all the time, and it was like, why are you so frustrated? It was just, it, it was a work in progress. It felt like 24 hours a day. Well, and I do think each of them grew up differently. I think Dennis right. has a great family unit that I think, you know, set him in the right place. His brother's very smart. I think his sister is very successful. I think his parents are very successful. Val was, you know, more of a just out on his own, uh, and I think maybe he got that feedback that hey you're special and that's you know you can just do whatever you want because you're so special and so I do think that you know affected everything but the fact that he was given everything that he was given right off the bat that made it very difficult for him I think because then the expectation is well (laughs) 
I think his agent even said one time, he goes, well, you know, if he's uh, on the first line and on the top power play, well, everything will be fine. And you're just like, <laughs> oh, okay. okay well, well there yeah, you there you go. And you're just oh, like, that, that was the attitude, I, I think, that was around him. And yeah. he believed that as well. That, you know. I, I can remember us back then just, you know, joking, but serious, that if his name was uh, Arthur Anderson and he was from Puscoupe, Alberta, his fanny would be in the American Hockey yeah. League. Uh, there's no question. Tenth overall or not, and and he would probably understand. Yeah, this this is not a right. It's a it's something that you have to work for and earn and prove on a daily basis. Yeah. So anyway, it, it looks as though you know. Obviously, he's moved on. Right. And I think this group is has moved on with lessons learned in that regard. Yeah. And and. I think Rope is the greatest example. Uh, you know, as much as we want to compare Garyanov to Val, I think the real comparison for the organization is Garyanov to Rope. Here's a guy with talent, with speed. If we, you know, make him earn it, and and I do think that's a, a completely different outlook than it was two or three years ago. Well, even just to finish this up, even thinking now with less lessons learned with young defensemen. Oh, too. Like, I wonder, I don't know how these guys are, are playing right now in the American Hockey League, uh, but they're deep at the position. Yep. They're banged up at the position at, at defense. But Joel Hanley being here over somebody else, maybe it's more beneficial for the somebody else to be playing minutes and in right. different situations in the American Hockey League than playing 11 minutes as a sixth defenseman in the NHL right now. Yeah, Gleason, Sacconi, the younger guys, you know, it probably is better for them to get this yeah. development right now. Yeah, Bayreuther, that, that group. So anyway, healthy scratch, that's... No. I Hopefully they've learned that one. The eight defenseman thing, yeah. like, I mean, we saw with Nemeth and Alexiak, that just didn't work. But that, that is part and parcel too, and, to the, and I hate talking about cap issues and, and uh, roster size. and But the rules that are in place now screw over some young guys yes. because of this. Because you're caught in between. You're like, well, what are we supposed to do with them? Right. If we, we, can, if we send them down, we got to put them through waivers. If we put them through waivers, we're going to lose them. Right. We'd like to keep them. Well, then you keep them up here. Well, he's not good enough, our coaches say, to be in the lineup every night. So he's healthy scratch. Then he loses his confidence. And it's just like circling the urinal cake for a while yeah. yeah it's interesting i mean we've had this discussion before there's certain ways i think you can set up your organization to try and avoid that and you know so hopefully you have your you know players who don't require waivers who can go up and down and are right on that bubble and and keep them there like I'm, i've always been a fan of having a young goalie and you know this goes against what anton hudobin has done because he's been so fantastic but having that kid as a backup who's pushing the next kid and then having that kid who's like the stars had for eight ten years mm. uh, and i think they can do the same thing now going forward with a defenseman where you know as you have these young guys they don't require waivers and then when they get to the point where they require waivers well then you either make a decision you either put them on your top seven or you you know let them go and i do think that's something they might do going forward where the way it's set up right now i think is exactly the way they want it set up uh speaking of russians there was an interesting visitor to the press level at American Airlines Center last night and into the management booth. And we'll talk about that after this. Tell 
One of the things that we've talked about in this, and not that we know anything about anything, but everything is everything. It's always always. It is always, in fact, everything. Uh, it it's a difficult thing to to keep reaching to the past, but at the same time move forward. And I'm a believer in the bigger tent and then the bigger voices. And this isn't from my sudden epiphany. It's just from reading, seeing success in other places and what have you that more eyeballs and more opinions don't have to listen to them all. Right. Uh, or you do have to listen to them all, but you don't have to act on them all. The, this is a, this is a fascinating little move by the organization to have Sergei Zubov, who's going to go into the Hockey Hall of Fame here in a matter of two weeks, come in, give uh, this management team and, and the coaches just a fresh perspective on what he's seeing and hopefully uh, maybe a couple of uh, helpful observations on tactical things power play in particular especially after last night's game and uh and just the idea that you have that brain uh able to be picked is i think just sensational yeah i mean as we are getting ready for the hall of fame you're talking to people about zuboff and that's the key to everything for him he saw the game differently and they let him uh rick wilson who Typically isn't that guy who, you know, he wants it structured. He wants it the way it goes. Zuboff was different. Zuboff had such a brain that he could look at things differently. He could see things differently. And and everybody appreciated that. And so then they bring that brain 10 years later after he's been a head coach. Uh, I don't think there's a real downside to any of that. There's a quote, and I'll screw it up, but the something about when the uncreative start to dictate to the creative, it stops becoming art. And that's why you have to be so careful with the hyper-creative athlete that you're not just dumbing them down to a degree where they're like, really? I mean, aren't there a million guys that can do that? Right. I do stuff that's special. And he was a guy that did stuff that was special. And the more you just left him to his devices the more special it became, it seemed. And if you wanted to yell at Sergey back in the day, uh, it, you know, believe me, there was, there was yelling and there were coaches or even teammates at, at times that, that would, he would shut down for a bit and then come back around again. Well, that's how he got to Dallas, isn't it? Yeah. Mario, Mario didn't like what Zuby was doing on the power play in Pittsburgh and said, you know what? We'll go get something else. Yeah. And that was a very fortunate decision. Still to this day, the greatest trade in oh my gosh. franchise history. Yeah. It's interesting, too. I think you pointed out back in the day, you, you're always very descriptive, but you talked about him slowing the game down and then being able to, basically, he's setting the tone. He's putting pieces in place just by the way he moves. I think you described him as like a ship listing back and forth, just that little lean this way, a little lean that way, feeling the wind, and then all these guys are blowing past him and he's setting the tone and basically doing the matrix where he's oh, yes. controlling everything and and it was a great description of how does a person do that like this is the highest level of hockey anywhere. everybody else is panicking right everybody else panics. and he's just as he calm just as can be doesn't have a panic point he would just 
sit there and you're like, how can you have a guy right in your face? If you turn the puck over, they're gone. Well, he wasn't worried about no. turning the puck over. And he would turn the puck over from time to time. Yeah. Didn't really care. That was the other thing. Like, when, he, when he tracked back, he was really fast. Yeah, like he, and smart. <laughs> and smart. But he like he, he didn't play the game fast, but yeah. when he had to, he could skate like the wind. Yeah. The I, I just I applaud you know, Jim Neal and, and I think Mark Janko was the guy that, that reached out to Sergey. You know, he got let go by his team in the yep. KHL and uh, because he's been coaching over there. It's not like this is just a former player that's, yeah. you know, been traveling the world and raising his kids or whatever. He's been doing that, uh, but he's been coaching. I'm always fascinated by guys that go into coaching. Yeah. Because, you know, you look at some of these individuals and you're like, no, I, did you ever see Sergey? When he was playing, going, oh, for sure he's going to go into coaching. No. I was like, not in a million no, years. No, Stu Barnes, yes. Yes, exactly. Mike, Mike Keene, I'm surprised that, you know, he's not well, a he coach is, somewhere. Though. But, I mean, you know. he's in. A, Mike Keene's in a perfect window up there is. in Winnipeg where Those guys. he gets to have his fingerprints are on all of these young guys because he's in player development. Yeah. So, But I, I just, I, I'm, I'm eager to see what kind of impact he can he can have with that brain that's just a brilliant mind yeah. in seeing things and whether you can take that and have it have it distributed to players because that's always you know when Gretz coached uh, you always you know Adam Oates coached and the the difference between what you see and what you did and not getting frustrated with the fact that guys just don't see and do right. what you did. They can't duplicate it. And this is as old as coaching, is it yeah. not? And it's in every sport. They have two candidates here, I think, who could maybe sponge up a little of that yes. in Miro Haskinen and John Klingberg. Yeah. Because those are two guys I don't who know might... what Miro really needs. But... I know, but, but again, if, if, if yes. you're talking about a person yeah. who is calm and sees the game in a similar yeah. way... Yeah, agreed. Bit, you know? The... Uh, but it, it always just strikes me that in every sport, football, basketball, you look at the top coaches, guys that that are Hall of Fame coaches, and you look back to what they were as players in that, and yeah, 98% of them were pluggers, yep. had a work ethic, absorbed stuff, you know, and it, it rarely changes from that. Yeah. Paul Coffey did sort of what, what Zubov's coming in i guess to do with in a couple of locations he did in edmonton he also did it in arizona back in the day i don't know what kind of results or whatever but i wonder what kind of coach eisman would have been like i mean he put mm -hmm. the work in i saw him in the traverse city prospects tournaments and stuff like that he just he went a different path went the gm path which i think is a, what most former players would like to do mm -hmm. but i do think he might have been a good coach yeah it's that's interesting because it seems like a lot of the if you will elite players of the previous era want to go into management right. where they can have more of a 3,000 foot view of things and and move pieces around on the chessboard as opposed to the 16 hour grind it has to be an absolute passion of the individual to want to coach yeah and definitely. that and and have that I think that the separator is you need a guy or the guy has to be someone that just is absolutely enamored with the win and loss juice i have to be part of that 
I need that in my life. Yeah. I can't just be uh, separated from that. Even though I'm involved, I, how involved are you when you're, you know, sitting in the press box and watching this? Still get frustrated. You can give some suggestions, but at the same time, you need to let your coach have at it. Whereas those coaches, I mean, it is lose a game, I'm never going to win again. Win a game, oh my God, we got another game in two days, and I've I've got to get ready for that one. I mean, you and I have talked about this before. The it it consumes them. Well, and and then just the pushing the buttons of the psychological matter of yeah. twenty three people, and trying to say, all right, I need to get this guy here and this guy here and this guy here. Psychologically, I mean, that to me is an incredible challenge. Okay, switching gears. Uh, so. Zubov's nickname was Zuby. I don't know whether, and Jeff Totes is going to uh, speak to this. He doesn't know it yet, but he's going to. He's got shock face right now. I don't know whether this is just a uh, different era thing or what has happened, but nicknames in hockey, an obituary or memorial service for them, because it just seems like it's, a, it's dead. It's throw dirt on it. You, Am I right? You go to uh, Toronto, and I think like the actual names are up there, like Ace Bailey, King Clan. Like that's what they were known as. Their nickname was their name. So yeah, I agree with you. I think it's it's uh, it's pretty so, much died out. Is there no interest? Is it a lost art? Is it antiquated? What is it? Well, I can't speak to the era before this, but currently it seems like nicknames, if you can even call them that, is just the laziest iteration of half of the last name with a S-Y yes, and E-R. I know. It's not really a nickname. No. It's, so I, I don't know how alive it was before this, but right now it's... Well, very alive. Vibrant. Effervescent. So what is it? Is it now? Like in every genre... Are there nicknames? Now, in the music business, nobody goes by their name. They go, they're dollar signs and crap. Post Malone. Involved. ASAP Rocky. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but. In- it's not, it's not Maloney or exactly. Maloner. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I can't So is it just a hockey Outside thing? of sports. What about the NBA? No, it's not. No one's no. going by nicknames now. It, like the highest honor a player can get is to be a one-name guy. It's just his just first your name. name. LeBron, Luca, Dirk. Right. It's not Good a nickname, point. though. Salient point by you. Thank you. Way to go. So we don't have anybody that really goes by by just first names. I skip over into that. I call Miro Miro. Yeah, I just think that's, I did, that might be I'm the easy too one. lazy to say Hayskinen sometimes. And it sounds cool. Yeah, yeah. Miro is, because yeah. it's different. There's yeah. no other. What other Miro do you no. know? You're looking out there and you go, well, there's Miro. Yeah, it's Miro. Oh, it's Miro. And same with Rope. It's just fun to say. I I hate this. I hate I hate the fact that exactly what Totes just said is has become the norm. It's just flat out lazy, right? Well, yes. Uh, you might, as an old writer, try to invent a nickname and then it falls on its face and you feel like an idiot. Do you remember any uh, line nicknames since the Grumpy Old Men and the short-lived Supernova? That was mine. And it fell right yeah, on Well, its, how long did it last? Like uh, two games, and then I'm going like, well, I'm not making up nicknames anymore. Well, Nobody likes that. Like, <laughs> like I thought I was pretty I thought I was pretty on point. And I, I put some I put the time in and the effort. I put on the black gloves so I didn't get calluses. I was working that hard. 
at this. And I'm like, Foxa, Cogliano, Como. They, they're gonna, they played in the preseason. They, they were intact opening night. And then Blake goes and gets hurt. But I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh. Because you're always looking about uh, acronyms and what have you. Let's call them the FCC. Not just purely on acronymial uh, sorts. This was more about what is the FCC? What does it do? They'll shut you down. Oh, it's a regulator. You're damn straight. And I'm like, that, that line, that's exactly what they do within a game. Is it going to catch on? Absolutely not. <laughs> not a chance on planet Earth. The Not funny, now. The funny thing is we had this discussion the other day. What is one of Jim Montgomery's famous historical uh, accomplishments? Supposedly, he named the Legion of Doom. And now he won't leave a line together for two games. Oh my so you God. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't name a, t- a line if you wanted to. I've, I got, you remember Ricardo Montebaum? I I'm, do. I'm uh, Monty Bomb, Monty Linebaum is what he is all about. <laughs> they, I think the, the two games in Pennsylvania are the only two games where the Stars have started with the same forward lines two games in a row. Yeah. He likes the FCC line. At Pittsburgh. Well, <laughs> well is that what, <laughs> Okay, well, let's feed them let's that. Let's go, then. yeah. <laughs> it is the FCC line. But even individuals, like Big Rig, good. But the here's another problem I have with this crap nowadays. <laughs> okay, so he's the Big Rig. Okay, well, what did they call Patrick Maroon? Probably the big the rig. The big rig. Yeah. Okay, Pat Verbeek was a little ball of hate. That was your Jen Floyd. Again, it's the scribes, the wags. I know. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Todd Marchant is the little ball of hate. No, he's not. You can't do that. That'd be like somebody back in the day with Rocket Richard. Oh, no, well, he's the Rocket now. No, he's not. He's the Shakutami Cucumber. <laughs> The production line. I love the production yes, line. Yes, of course you did. It was in Detroit. That's right. Now, I'm looking at this recently, and I, I, I almost barf on my game notes when I see this stuff. So, Pittsburgh, we saw them twice in short order. They have a guy. I'm not kidding. They have a guy on their team whose last name is Ricola. <laughs> His last name is Ricola. So I'm just assuming, in my mind, that his nickname has to be either Cough Drop or Lozenge, right? Like, you refer yeah. to him as Cough Drop. Yeah. You have to. His last name is Ricola. Nope. Rico. So lazy. Oh, my God. Lazy, like pajamas on the couch. Lazy. Same thing happens. The Minnesota Wild come to town. Luke Cunning. Where is he from? Chesterfield, Missouri. So back in the day, man, guys would just be looking for stuff like this. And he would automatically be, take your pick, couch, sofa, (laughs) Davenport. I love Davenport. That would be his nickname. You're from Chesterfield. Nope. Nope. Cunny. What has happened? Is there no imagination? Is that the problem? There is. Are we too fixated on our friggin' smartphones? There should be an app for this. I might put it together. I may put an app together 
It'll be a nickname producer. How do you pronounce Tampere? Is it Tampere? Tampara. Tampara. The Tampara Torpedo. See? It's, Are you trying too hard? Now? I think I am sometimes. Look at Totes just scrunched his face up Look to at that. that one. Come on, people. You, you're better than this out there. I mean, I, we laugh now. I named dot .com dot .com. Yeah. Font coordinator now. But back in the day when the internet was <laughs> just coming to be, it was like, well, let's call him dot .com. He is dot .com. He is dot .com. He's dot .ca when we go to Canada. <laughs> That's right. On this road trip, he'll be dot .ca, .ca. on the internet. All right. Um, you want to take a break? I think we should. Just collect ourselves. We're going to come back. Two things to cover, and then we're out of here. One, officiating. Two, WTF, these Dallas stars. All right, now that we've cleared up all of that, uh, Daryl Ray, Mike Heike, along with the greatest of the millennial generation, Jeff Totes here, wrapping up another week of rinky-dinking. Uh, quite a contest last night. I don't know that we're ever going to see uh, a coach challenge involve tilt to that degree ever again. No, I think they learned a few lessons on that. I think maybe even the officials learned a lesson. Well, that, that's my point of this. Our referees in 2019 uh, wince, flinch, gun shy when it comes to actually making a call, making a call on something. Are they always running behind the skirt of the National Hockey League's operations to make sure that the mummy says, no, that's correct, and I'm all good now. Well, I think there's a certain point of executing the call. So if indeed you decided that Radic Fox broke his stick, do you just go blow the whistle? No, 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 it's done. Or do you wait and let somebody review it? Because it really was a very close moment of did he play the puck with a broken stick or did he score the goal and then the stick broke and then i mean like so if you're an official yeah that that was a reach for me okay just just because of this the rapidity of the game and the fact that it was just the continuation yeah. of what was going on if you if a guy shoots the puck breaks the stick as he's shooting it and the puck goes in the net they're never going to call that back no. and say you were playing with a broken stick. So if stick. you're an official, ever you're going to let that the play idea, on. As I said last night, the idea of of the rule that you can't play with a broken stick is a safety issue. Yep. It's not an advantage issue. No. They're not saying, well, Jesus, stick broken half. What a what a great advantage he had. <laughs> we we can't allow that. What's funny is he threw it right down. Like he just <laughs> dropped it. Like, now, when I was the watching rule. it in real time, yeah. I honestly thought that uh, whether it was Zadorov or Graves, whoever was right next to him, slashed his stick yeah. and broke it as yeah. he was scoring. And I understand how these referees don't really get it at ice level. My my issue, not really an issue, I'm, my curiosity now is just both games with Colorado. The game in Colorado, the star score, and the net's off. Now, in my mind, in my history in the game, tells me oh, that 
that can't count. Right. The, the net's off its moorings. But immediately when the refs on the ice, and there are, there are two refs and two linesmen, and they all get together, when they look at it and they're like, well, we're not really sure. We're going to go and talk to the league and what have you. You're like, whoa, whoa, here. Do I have this rule right in my mind? It seemed to me that they they could easily just go, the net was off its moorings, it's no goal, right. and then move on with the game. I don't understand why they can't do that. I think they just are scared. Well, that's what that's my point. Yeah, I think you're right. So the, this one last night, same idea. That, now there was so much confusion after it was like you can't even you can't even challenge. That's the one that. to me. And then people the were going through the rule book and yeah. they're like, "Well, I think it was this one." And I read a couple of those on Twitter after the game. I'm like, I don't think that's what the one was. Right. If you look at rule, I think it's 38. Rule 38 is where this thing comes in this year. Right. And the NHL is exceptional at keeping very vague gray areas involved in some of these things. So they list some of the the things that can be challenged. You know, puck off, hand pass, and that. It doesn't list a broken stick, played with a broken stick. But it does add in there uh, amongst other things. Right. It's like amongst other things. So it's completely open to... Some kind of interpretation, you would think. And then on top of all this, Jared Bednar, and I, I wouldn't say it on the air. I can no. see what he was saying and mouthing. And I, I feel for coaches. Yep. And I don't want to embarrass them. Uh, he he had no idea it was a double minor no. if you got your second challenge wrong, which is a new thing this year. Right. And this assistant coach looked like it like clicked in his head as soon as he saw the four up on the boards. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, <laughs> Bednar looks at his assistant and he's like, why is that? four minutes and then they look up and I think it was Ray Bennett yeah. next to him and, and I think like, it just well, clicked in his head yeah oh, oh I second, remember that <laughs> second challenge that is in the rule book now so. I just I I get the idea of why they want to get it right and why they go to the situation room and get help sometimes I don't and I wish they would just replay replays hard up a little bit I agree with that well now we go to the NFL where they really, the officials are like, no, no, I'm right. I don't care what you see on the television screen. And like on the Cowboys game, they get benefit from a pass interference that probably wasn't a pass interference and then get benefit from what they did as a pass interference that wasn't called. There's so too much. There's too much. It's too much. It's too, there's too much. And so then it, it's going to affect how officials see I can't remember game. whose who's, uh, suggestion it was, but somebody said something about they they should only allow them to review it in real time interesting you can watch it again yeah but you have to you have to watch it again in real time you you can't use slow mo yeah it really does change the perception of what's going on i mean who knew what the hell went on in front of that net when radic scored yep really until you slowed it all down and now you can see when the stick breaks and if you wanted to go frame by frame you could say well it was broken prior to the letter of the law states that Correct. you cannot play the puck and you're just like shut up those sticks are hollow they're made of composite graphite space age materials and they break uh, the reason you don't allow that is if they break and I don't understand it anymore but a guy keeps it in his hand and he starts stabbing opponents and you have three to uh, five dead opposition players on the ice, I, I think we're all in agreement. We don't want that, do we? We don't want that. No. No. Okay, finally. What has gotten into our Dallas Stars? 
What 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 happened? How'd we turn this around? Um, I, I'm gonna say desperation to start with. Desperation's an awful word. It's a great word. Terrible. Because when they were meandering, you might be correct, but it's an awful through word. those one or what is it? One period in 19 minutes against Minnesota, they look lost. They look like they had no idea, and then. Potentially, I think it's more than this, but potentially one guy got crazy and said, you know what, I've had enough of this. And Alexander Radulov just went a little bit nuts. And he continues to go nuts. He does all the time. I mean, you got to live on that crazy edge with him. I don't know. But That's a completely different topic that but we'll get into next the week. The effort but. he showed in diving across the ice to chip that puck in to make it 3-1 instead of 3 nothing. Yeah. It was a turning point in that game. It was a game. turning point maybe. in that game, and then now everybody's like, you know what? Maybe we need to play like that guy. Maybe our season really is on the line right now. Yeah. I don't know. It's become contagious. Yeah. Like what Jason I, Dickinson did in that first shift the other night, that's not what he'd been playing like, you know, for a lot of the season. Yeah. He went out there, and he made something happen. Yes. It, it, you also need a willing partner on the other side to absolutely suck, and that that happened. <laughs> I agree, that a couple a of times. Horrific shift by Gerard to open that thing up. He set him up yeah. after turning the puck over like twice, so that helps. And the Minnesota Wild just the, absolute the look on Drew's face during the what did they do? Score three themselves. I know. I'll, I'll, the meeting had the meeting had uh, resonance to it. When they, they they got real with one another, yeah. and I like talking with Andrew Cogliano, and I talked to him after that, and he he made the point, and he's all always, you know, he's a veteran guy that's seen some things, and likes to talk, and he he just said we had to have a playoff mentality, which seems ridiculous when you're seven games into a regular season, right? But you watch. From that, basically, from that shift on, they, they looked paralyzed early in that game, j- just because of the way the game was going. Right, like they ha- they did all that talking and everything, and it was like, okay, it was it's supposed to happen, and that was my issue with them over the first three weeks of the season, is they were all standing around waiting for it to happen. Right, I was waiting for you to make it happen. You you were brought in here. You should make it happen. Well, you're the guy that makes X amount of money. Why aren't you making it happen? And they all stood around and stared at one another and was like, okay, well, why are you not going? Right. And then finally down 3 nothing after their meeting to the Minnesota Wild, who are not good. And, and finally, it was, you're right, it was urgency, desperation, panic, all those things wrapped into one shift at the end of that second period. They score turned it third period they explode and go off but the the difference for me and we, you hear about oh you know we're doing this a little bit different and maybe it's a mindset it's this that and the other thing it is a bit of a mindset it's always mental even though it's always everything it's always mentally everything yeah and you talk a lot and tweet a lot about confidence and you seem fascinated by confidence which Damn. is swag and swag. You're so hip. Do you say swagger at all? No. Should he stop saying swagger? Yeah, I agree. Don't say that anymore. It does it's not a good look. So they have their swagger going now. And the 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 way they got it though is by just I think embracing hard hockey again. 
it's not easy to win at any time in the National Hockey League. And if you're not willing to drive to the other team's net, to go in, in that area, to, to push, and to own in front of your net, in your slot area, you're going to struggle. Yeah. And they were struggling. And you look at that game, even though a bunch of goals went in off the wild, they went in off the wild because the Stars got after them yep. and went to the net. Look at, fast forward to last night again, right? You're playing that team and they played well. I mean, yep. they dominated them early on, but they went after them. That first shift, all three forwards were below the hash marks and after them. And with that, you get bounces. Radic Foxa, three whacks at it. And you push them back toward their net and you get bounces. Yep. Corey Perry cruises toward the net. They drill it toward the net. You get bounces. You throw it toward the net and you get it in. It's something they weren't getting before. But you truly do create that. Yes. You, you don't get bounces when you're just running around the perimeter staring at one another and waiting for someone to get open. Yeah. And that's what they were doing, I think. Yeah. Basketball comparison is if you're just a three-point shooting team, uh, you're mad that you're not getting to the free throw line. There's a reason. You're yeah. not driving the net. I mean, it's the same thing. You get penalties. Unless you're Golden State. That then you can just drain it from well, everywhere, yeah, right? Well, if you do that. But I'm just saying there's a reason you're getting penalty calls. And there's a reason yeah. they were one of the least – uh, on yes. the power play teams yeah. early in the season because they yeah. weren't doing anything to no. deserve penalties. No. If you stand around with your fanny on the sideboards, you're not going to get calls. No. You go into combat zone, you go into the octagon, and then in front of your net, instead of just watching the slot area like it's a deer feeder, you actually engage somebody and get after it. All of a sudden, you're like, we are physically, mentally, and emotionally engaged in this action and this contest, this conflict, this tilt. And I think they love it, and especially, especially when you get a little bit of success. Yeah, contagious. Yeah. Confidence. You know what swagger. I say? It's confidence. It's swagger. swagger. It truly is. All right. Hopefully, a one game in seven days schedule respite won't pee on their warm, nurturing, life-giving fire that they have built up from kindling into this bonfire, if you will. Like the Aggies. No such concern, though, with rinky-dinking, is there, no. Mike? We will fall to the occasion uh, and disappoint whether there are games or no games, and we'll do it again uh, a week from now. Back to kill 45 minutes to an hour. And we'll talk to you all when we do that next week, y'all. Ta-ta! Like a singing bird in the croaking toad I've got a name I've got a name And I carry it with me like my daddy did But I'm living the dream That he kept here Rolling me down the highway Rolling me down the highway